party people! Oh, welcome once again to the Party of One podcast, the actual play RPG podcast where the gaming table is always set for two. I'm your host as always, Jeff Stormer, and this week on the show, I am joined by Raf D'Amico for a game of The Zone. The Zone is a digital tabletop story game of magical realism, mutant weirdness, and collaborative self-destruction. It is a play-to-lose RPG inspired by stories like Annihilation, Roadside Picnic, and Stalker, about a zone that changes people, a government-observed place that has shifted people and things and changed the environment and the world itself, and that is rumored to contain an object, a room, a space, a power to grant your one wish if you can find the center of it. The players take on the role of doomed protagonists. Only one will make it to the center of the zone, and even then, they may or may not get what their heart desires. It is a game about uh, flawed people exploring a dangerous place and making short-sighted, difficult decisions that change them along the way as they march towards their impending doom. Uh, It is more fun than it sounds. That may or may not be the kind of story that you're into, but if it is, and if you know anything about me, you know that that is very much the kind of story that I am into, uh, you are going to have a great time with it. This game is a masterpiece of bridging digital technology with uh, analog tabletop RPG storytelling tropes and style, and it is a, a cool experience. It is such a uh, an awesome game. The design of it is brilliant. The actual, like, digital play space is very, very cool. Uh, I cannot recommend checking it out enough. I am a huge fan of The Zone. I love the game that we played together, and I think you're really going to enjoy listening to it. You can find more information at thezonerpg.com, or check the show notes for more information. And you can also follow Raf, who is the designer of The Zone, at RafDamico on Twitter. And with that, I don't want to take up any more time. I want to get to this game, so let's go ahead and throw it over to me in the past so that he can get started with the show. Take it past me. Thanks, future me. This week, I am beyond excited to be sitting down with Raf D'Amico. Raf, thank you so much for coming on Party of One. Hey, Jeff. I'm super glad to be here. I am so, so excited to be playing this game today. This is going to be great. I've been looking forward to this all day. Uh, But before we dive in, why don't you take a moment to let our lovely listeners at home know about all of the good stuff you've got going on, including the game that we are going to be playing uh, this week on the show. Hey, lovely listeners. Um, So I'm Raf, and I'm a designer and a game designer here in San Francisco. And um, yeah, so this game is called The Zone. It's a magical realist horror game about going into a um a weird and wonderful area that will mutate every single person except the last survivor um and uh really <laughs> it is a play to lose game uh hell yeah my favorite kind of involved. game my favorite type <laughs> uh strongly encourage uh very very irresponsible behavior from every character within and uh yeah so this is a game that uh uh, I've been working on it for a few years at the beginning of the pandemic, um, when it became impossible to play test, uh, in person. Um, I decided to spend a year just building a digital version and that's what we'll be playing tonight. It is, uh, gorgeous. I, I realized that we are playing this very visually focused, uh, digital game in an audio medium. So the listeners will just have to trust me when I say it is, uh, flippin' gorgeous. Still too kind, but appreciate it. We'll have to describe the pixels as they come. Yeah, I, I, uh, there are, there are, there are light uh, artifacts floating around. We got a map. I'm very, uh, so I believe it's time for us to kick things off, if I'm not mistaken. Let's begin. All right.
Um, so the uh, for for those who can't see the game, uh, which I guess is all of us except the two of us, um, the instructions are shown, and um, we're going to read them out loud as mm-hmm. we go. Uh, so it's all scripted. Uh, this is what you be what you'd be experiencing at the table. Uh, so I guess I should just do that, Jeff. Should I just go, start and then we can take turns? Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, if you want to read the, the copy on the left side, I will read the three bullet points on the right side. You got it. The goal of this game is to tell a weird, magical, realist horror story of mutation and self-discovery. A story about people who risk everything for an obsession. A story where only one will make it to the end. Uh, the game traditionally takes between two and three hours from this point. Uh, we're going to be playing this in the traditional party of one uh, hour to hour and a half. Uh, we are going to we have already briefly introduced ourselves with our name and pronouns. Uh, what is my favorite weird horror thing? Oh, gosh. My favorite weird horror thing is appropriately enough for this game. I love when a I love locational horror. I love when a place is. Not necessarily, I love a haunted house, but not necessarily, like, haunted by a specific entity. I love when a place is just wrong. Like, uh, mm. one of my, like, my, one of my mm. absolute favorite horror stories, movies, horror, anything is 1408, the Stephen King story, John Cusack movie, mm. where the, the entire, uh, uh, pitch is like, it's not haunted, nothing horrible happened here. And to quote Samuel L. Jackson, it's just an evil fucking room. <laughs> that type of thing where, like, an environment is just unnatural and wrong is my favorite thing in the world. That's glorious. Um, and uh, for me, I'll just say um, I absolutely love just weird abstract horror, like the color out of space. Um, mm. And I'll just say I have a soft spot for the Nicolas Cage version that came out last year. We're just, I've got to see it. I've got to see it. It's truly uh charming is one way of putting it but that kind of things are starting to happen and if you can throw in a little bit of the thing style 80s practical effects mm-hmm. body mm-hmm. horror into it of people transforming to things that they uh you know might not have chosen to transform into um it's it's i just love that and i love it when you just don't understand why it's happening but it's happening it's very good it's very very good uh, and last but not least, we are seeing the same thing. This is a live multiplayer space. Um, any moves that we make are going to affect everyone's view. So I will go ahead and click next to the briefing. Welcome, volunteers. I know you're all wondering what the zone really is and if the rumors are true. As the 14th expedition, you deserve to know what we know. It's not a lot, but it may help you. It all started with the anomalies. Locals calling into talk radio or visiting their doctors with stories of unseasonal weather, impossible objects, half-sightings of unknown creatures, claimed conversations with long-dead loved ones. People disappeared. Medical notes describe bodies that started changing. We initiated special containment procedures, performed tests on those who refused to evacuate, and then, as if reacting to our attention... The boundary appeared and isolated everything and everyone in an area of several square miles. We don't know if there are still survivors or if they're still human. Since that moment, not a single expedition has returned. All lose contact minutes after losing a leaving visual range. We're going on fragments, rumors, and occasional anomalies that seep beyond the boundary. We don't know what the zone wants, or if it wants. It seems to be a mirror. It manifests whatever phobias, obsessions, and memories you bring into it. 
The zone brings them to life to test you. There are rumors that the zone can grant your deepest wish if it deems you worthy. Sensor readings show something incredibly powerful at its heart. Perhaps the only escape is that center itself. You, we, are the 14th expedition. You will almost certainly not return. Good hunting, but prepare to die. The Federal Bureau of Coherence, without admitting liability. Oh, of course not. Of course not. Thanks for, for accepting this mission. And mission briefing. This is a collaborative storytelling game. Uh, we are telling a movie. This game is a series of scenes which we can choose to play in as middle, uh, as much or as little detail as we want, describing or acting out what characters are doing. Scenes can be as short as a couple of minutes, but usually five minutes or so. The game lasts about as long as a movie. We will take turns being the director. There is no GM. We take turns as director setting up and ending scenes, and I'll share a few key moves that anyone can trigger at any time to help the story along. No one will be forced to be on the spot for long. We're each in charge of our characters, but share responsibility for everything else. And we will play to lose. We are not competing with each other. That's why our fates are secretly decided at the start, so we can focus on creating not-so-easy situations, which characters will always take the bait on and suffer the consequences. You know those moments that have you yelling, don't go in there, or don't touch that at your favorite horror film? That's this entire game. Yeah, so this is the board. that What we're seeing right now, It's uh, so it's a shared space. Everything, unless stated specifically otherwise, is uh, we'll both be seeing it, Jeff. Mm -hmm. And um, this spiral of cards that's in front of us represents the zone itself. And uh, it, it's the, the maelstrom that sucks us in from the outside mm -hmm. into our inevitable center. Um, each card is a location that we're going to go through. It's a one-way journey. You cannot backtrack. Um, and if ever that comes up, we'll have to come up with ways to explain that in-game for why it is impossible. Mm. And in each location, we'll, we'll just normally you do a few scenes. I think uh, for the sake of, of uh, keeping things short, we'll just do a scene in each location, uh, mm -hmm. which will be plenty. And um, this is the most important thing. There's no stats. There's no dice rolls in this game. Whenever a character tries to do something that seems like it would be not so easy for them, anyone uh, can force them to pull a not so easy card. You can even force yourself to pull it. Um, this, by the way, if anyone listening is a fan of the game Archipelago, that's where that's from. Huge credit to that game as a massive influence. Just a gorgeous, gorgeous system that ensures that there's always always an interesting complication when someone tries to do something hard and in this game that's going to be mutations which we're trying to accumulate and then the not so easy cards um uh if there's uh if there are more than two players they would uh define who ultimately gets the agency over the, the fate of the poor survivor <laughs> um but they're fun they're a lot of fun and we want to trigger them as often as possible mm -hmm. our fates are predetermined by these fate cards right here um they are predetermined. We cannot die until that moment. Um, we will find out who dies when we get mm -hmm. to them. It is random. Um, by the way, because we can't die, we should take as many risks as possible. The only thing that can change is our, is our human bodies. And uh, the game will end at the center. Uh, when we get there, uh, whoever is the survivor will... Uh, make a wish of the zone's inestimable, inestimable power. And we'll see what happens. All right. Do you want to do this uh, safety section? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a horror game, and it's most fun when we take our characters out of their comfort zones while taking excellent care of we, the humans playing them. We have a few tools at our disposal. We have the X card. Uh, if something comes up in the story and we'd rather it didn't, we'll press the X card button. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and press that now. I've pressed it now. I see it. Uh, it pops up. Uh, gives us a moment to pause. We will uh, talk through our... We'll talk through. We'll find another way. No questions asked. We can also X card ourselves. Um, I think we can also use that verbally. There's an X card button, but uh, if we want to use that as an end card and just kind of pull it up and say, hey, I'm liking I'm liking this, but let's move it. Let's, let's keep it moving because we're getting close. I think that also works. Atmospheric silence. There will be times where a character is pondering a question and helping them feel so irresistible. We will not give in. Sometimes folks need a little bit of time to think, and the creepiest horrors need their time to gestate. Uh, we also have hell yeah or no. We each have ironclad authority over our characters. When setting up scenes as the director, it's fun to suggest ideas and yes and a lot, but there's no pressure. If it's not an obvious hell yeah, there's no need to push it. And last but certainly not least, the players, us at the table, you and I right now are more important than the game. We are going to take care of ourselves first. We are going to be excellent to each other. That's right, Jeff. You're important. I am important. You are important. We are important. We, uh, we are more important than the podcast that we are recording. This we we matter more than this story uh, ever does. If you're so listening, next, drink some water. Drink some water. Stretch. Unclench your shoulders. Just real quick, like give your give your shoulders and unclench. Unclench your jaw. Just breathe for a second. Uh, while you do that, uh, we are going to have a quick level set. Uh, what rating should our movie have? Uh, I'm feeling like a soft. A soft R is where I'm at. I don't picture it being a hard R, but definitely in that R, like undeniably R, but not necessarily, uh, not necessarily straight to VHS. I feel good about that. Absolutely. I do too. I think we both kind of landed at the same place. And is there any content we know we would like to avoid? Uh, my usual lines are sexual assault, any any harm to, I, I, I describe it as mundane animals or children. Hmm. Uh, a, a veil on eye and teeth related injuries mm -hmm. and a line on plagues and pandemics. Amen to all three of those categories. That works for me um, the right. same way. Fantastic. Uh, then with that, we will hit next. We will choose our characters. We will, our characters have an obsession, a phobia and a reason they cannot go back to their old life. All right. So we're going to spend a few minutes uh, creating our characters I'm kind of feeling the scientist tonight. That feels like I, I was leaning towards the bureaucrat, and I feel like those two go well, really well together. That's a really nice pairing. Yeah. All right. We have created our characters. We filled out our obsessions. We filled out our phobias, and we've described why we can't go back. So uh, would you like to introduce your character and walk through, uh, walk, th read, read through your character, uh, your character bio, your role, and then give us your three answers? Absolutely. All right. So, um, so my character is Seth Arroway. He's a scientist, um, officially on this mission, uh, tasked with understanding and explaining the zone, a distinguished scientist responsible for a number of key breakthroughs in a prolific early career. Um, but... Seth has followed uh, his theories to the more, how should we say, creative fringes and the academic field that uh, that Seth once dominated, was seen as a leading light in, has now kind of rejected him as both a fraud and a huckster. Um, so here in the zone, it's going to be all about trying to understand it, explaining it, 
coming up with scientific theories, try to understand, and of course, take a lot of samples everywhere. Of course. Now, Seth also has um, uh, an inner life and an obsession, a phobia, and something he cannot go back to. His obsession is finding his lab partner and twin brother uh, who was on the previous expedition. And this actually relates to Seth's phobia, which is incompetence, that maybe he doesn't know what he's doing, that actually his brother is the one who's the talented one, and that all of that success was really just, it was all about the skills that his brother had. And um, there might be a little bit of evidence to this, because uh, there's something Seth can't go back to, which is the lab, in a literal sense, uh, he uh, blew it up. Uh, mm. There was an enormous accident uh, that was caused by him just just pushing a little bit further than his skill set would allow the things that normally his brother would do. And it's only a matter of time before the investigation finds him at fault. So what better time than to go on this mission and try and bring back his brother or what remains excellent. Uh, I am playing Victor Dunlevy. He has pronouns. Victor is the career suit first entrusted with containing the zone. I've studied it, secretly orchestrated dozens of clinical experiments on the locals to assess the risk. Now I've been cut off from them. I need to know what happened to them and the risk that it poses to the rest of the world. My role here is to contain the zone at all costs. I'm here to control and contain. I'm here to cover my ass, and I'm here to finish the experiment. Uh, my obsession, the thing that I want more than anything, is control over the Bureau. I want that cushy promotion so badly. Uh, and that also ties into my phobia because I'm terrified of the world revealing my insignificance. If I don't get that promotion, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't prove that I can run the, the bureau, if I don't get this opportunity to take control of everything, what the hell was the point of any of it? And then I'm nothing <laughs> without this job, without this role, without this power, I'm nothing. So I want as much power as I can hold on to. This is probably a one-way trip for me, but I'm going anyway because I cannot go back to work. I cannot go back to the Bureau empty-handed because they'd have my ass and I am not giving O'Hare the saddest fucking faction. That O'Hare. I'm not, I'm not going to see the look on his face if I were to go back empty-handed. And let's face it, I, I like to add this on the... This, this is starting to feel a little bit right for this, this particular pair, but I almost want to imagine that... Um, let's just say that we weren't fully authorized to leave when we did. Oh, yeah, 100%. Normally, I've authorized us, and that's what matters. That's right. Uh, we went through the multiple layers of security just because uh, you have all the security clearances. Who would ask that's questions right. of uh, of you, of Victor Dunleavy? I picture we're in a Jeep. That's the vibe that I get. Like, we're driving in in a Jeep. That's the detail I want to throw out. Oh, that's perfect. Like... Because that gives us the vibe that we just climbed in the car and drove off. And like, I, I guess the question, well, here's the question that I want to leave in the air. I don't want to answer it right now, but I want to I want to have in the air as we start the game proper. I want to know if uh, I want to know. I, I want to explore. I want to find out and play how much Seth knows about the level of permission we've been given to go into the zone today. <laughs> It might be 100%. It might be not at all. I want that. To, I want to play that out and see what happens. But that's the question that excites me. Oh, I like that. Let's play to find out. Um, okay. And I think I think that the, the related question then from Seth's mind is going to be, why was Seth picked specifically? How come it mm. was so easy for Seth to get onto this mission? It seems, some might say, suspiciously easy. I like that. I really like that.
<laughs> okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start us off. Um, yep. So what we're gonna see here um, on the screen, by the way, is is a tutorial that shows up, um, and it just goes through um, the key mechanics. Um, and I'll get us started. So the game begins at the zone observation facility, and so let's just say that the zone observation facility, in this case, I'm gonna make it. Yeah, I'm gonna pick this. Is that Fields tents, sandbags, and portable scientific equipment in the rugged no-man's land around the zone. It's moved often to stay out of the boundaries expansion. I like that. I like that. I, I picture one of the other prompts was a mass of concrete and steel, and I, I I almost imagine that that's also, like, part of it. But, like, where we are is out in the field tents and sandbags because we are – we have already kind of, like eh, – snuck out walked out like we're, we've already kind of left the facility and we're into where the the field tents and the sandbags are of the of the many entrances we picked the one that is just most likely not to have anyone asking questions mm -hmm. particularly so far after the sunset in the darkest moment of the night yes indeed so it's nighttime and um it's just the two of us i, I think I think we're getting ready to cross. Um, we are, uh, we're hanging out, just grabbing me a couple of the, uh, the pieces of equipment that they keep at this, this forward base. And, uh, the two of us are just sharing rumors. If, if, if we want, we can even include a, a couple of the other folks who are manning the zone observation facility. Um, and I'll just quickly set up just how, how the mechanics work. Every scene, um, we're trading the role of the director. All the director does is just set up the beginning of the scene and then just kind of control the edit. And even that, to be honest, is pretty collaborative. So if you're feeling like the scene's going on too long, you can say, hey, should we edit? And ultimately, the director mm -hmm. decides. But just the two of us. Um, and then the middle part is very freeform, GM-less, collaborative, just uh, yes anding each other. Cool. And each scene card has some questions on it in case you ever feel stuck or you want uh, just a, an idea can think of answering one of those questions and uh yeah and then the director ends the scene whenever whenever he feels ready it's always better to end the scene too early than too late cool. and particularly if we got off topic so we are here at the zone observation facility and um there's a bunch of these field tents and there's a little kind of um there's a, a mess tent where there's um you know, we, we've picked up our MRE rations and we're just mm -hmm. uh, having a little snack, just checking our packs under the I'm almost imagining it's just under like a single light bulb um, just to, to create more of that sense of claustrophobia of, of us just doing this slightly illicit thing. Mm -hmm. And um, as we're just putting out everything from our pack onto the table and just making sure we, we have all the things that we need, you know, the glow sticks, the camera equipment, the radio equipment. We still take it in, even though, even though the radio equipment just has never worked. Right. We still, we still try. We still hope maybe this time will be the time. Um, the notebooks, that kind of stuff. Um, and so I think I ask you, I think I'm, I'm the scientist. I'm the one who's kind of, uh, new to the zone and you're the kind of the expert so so i, I kind of turned to, to victor while i'm just checking my stuff and i'm like hey i, I heard these are these rumors about um sometimes creatures 
heard some creatures sometimes they walk up to the boundary oh yeah they, all the time yeah but they're they're kind of strange right like they i've heard about strange time loops happening just right at the boundary's edge like a creature will come up and then just disappear just for it crosses and it'll happen the same way is, is that true is that real oh yeah it happens all the time huh what are some rumors yeah. what are some things that uh that you're hoping to find in there well uh did you hear the rumor about uh expedition 13 which expedition 13 even i heard that there's uh been quite a few of those ones uh 13 13 7 the last the last 13 mm. they called in no i thought that was yeah. impossible that's what we all thought they didn't sound great but uh rumor has it they called in what did they say It's classified, the, isn't it? You can't tell me. I get it. Oh, no. Honestly, it's... I mean, uh, look, we're out here together. We may as well be honest with each other. I'm here to be honest with you because uh, we're risking our asses together. Tell us something we don't know, right? Like, they they, they really emphasize the zone was off limits to, to stay away, you know, real... Real kind of, real kind of ominous stuff. Honestly, I, I'm chalking it all up to the zone playing tricks on us, but uh, it's got the upper brass all shaking, all shaking and stirred. Well, maybe we'll find them. We can ask. Yeah, that, that would be nice. As for the animals, though, it's you know, uh, yeah, you're gonna see some. You're gonna see. You're gonna see a rabbit run in a circle four or five times, but. Uh, We've uh we've got it covered. We've been we've been studying. We've been uh we've gotten some samples. Uh by the way, if you see if you do see an animal, get some samples because the more samples that we have, the better our understanding of all this. But uh we're on control. You know, we've got this, we've got it, we've got a handle on this. Don't you worry, don't you worry, you focus on your job and you let us handle the pencil pushing. Seth is not convinced, but uh <laughs> you know, we're here now. Now, He's already decided that this is the only way. What you got to look out for is the sinkholes. Oh, I've heard rumors about the sinkholes. What have you heard? Well, I, I just, um, I mean, I read the reports. Obviously, we don't know what which happens with the sit. Which well, reports did you read? Because uh, it's my understanding those reports are confidential. Well, only the ones I was allowed to see. Only <laughs> the ones. Answer. Good answer. See? That's why I like you, Seth. Thank you. I appreciate that. Seth is uh Seth is a little bit taken aback by this display of affection. He's like, I haven't done enough to be liked yet. You know, we're trying you know, uh just call it a hunch. I think what he heard about the sinkholes and he's only seen like the redacted report. Maybe mm -hmm. maybe Victor's got the extra details. Is that the the sinkholes just had no bottom. Just threw telemetry equipment into them and just just kept going. But sometimes the things that you threw into them, they came back. That's what we heard. Is that right, Victor? Sorry, Mr. Uh, Mr. Dunleavy? Victor Victor's fine. I'm not I'm not on the job right now. That's the official report. That's as much as I would have expected somebody in your position to have heard. The ant the, the thing that you didn't hear. 
Ow. Oh my god, you're twisting my- Ow, you punched me in the jaw. Oh my god, you're, you're rampaging. Oh, you're a mo- Oh my god, you're a monster. Oh my god, this vicious- Okay, fine, you've broken my will, I promise I will- uh, Please tell spare me. my life. You have to tell me. Yeah, yeah. You know, you never know who's listening. The real story is that- We the, have to the, trust the, each other. <laughs> the real story is that this holes were asking for stuff. Huh. Yeah, that got weird. <laughs> we saw one. Uh, I, I oversaw one experiment where uh, the hole just desperately said it wanted a radio. Just desperately asked for a radio. So we threw a radio down there. Three days later, radio pops back up in a tent. I a mean, tent? the radio looked like it had aged about 45 years, but uh, it was back. That's astonishing. A tent, a tent outside the zone. My well, God. the tent was well. The tent was inside the zone. That's what made it weird. By the way, just one quick aside is um, for the uh, everything we're saying. Not only is it being recorded, our subterfuge is just not. It's not even a thing. Oh, that's that's. I think that's why. That's why Vic. I think Victor, Victor, Victor's a hundred percent aware, and is just that's what that's what that oh, yeah. whole thing was was just knowing full well like somebody is listening. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna break protocol, mm-hmm. you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I it's not it's not convincing, but it's the type of not convincing where yep. I can at least point to it and be like, you can read the transcript. I was I was shaken down. I was attacked. <laughs> really, if anybody should be court-martialed, it's Seth. <laughs> Or what remains of him? Now I, I'm I'm imagining that um, the person who was uh, listening to that transcript, by the way, they of course they see through the entire thing, uh, and not only that, but um, they they're they're just taking notes of the entire time, and uh, they they just have a clipboard that's just like uh huh, and it's just a psych assessment that's being done of this moment. Mm-hmm. Our, mm-hmm. our, our entire scheme of thinking that we're off the books is actually oh, just yeah. uh, part of a larger plan. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. All right. Well, I think um, that seems like a pretty good time. That feels to, like a good ending point. That yeah, feels like cutting away right. from that moment of talking about the, the sinkhole to cutting to the person listening with a clickboard that says like psych experiment failed expedition 14, one, 14, one, four, five. They they start taking notes and then and then we we segue to our next scene. Perfect. Uh, all right. So now it's you. All right. Uh, we are moving to the boundary. We're about to. Cr- uh, we are about to start crossing the boundary. This will be split into three short scenes, one for each of the three key moves. Before we start the scene, we'll do a quick overview of all three moves. Take stock. Uh, starting with you, every player adds a sensory detail about the scene, sight, sudden sound, touch, smell, taste, how your character feels. You can skip if you don't have anything in mind. When both of us have spoken, we will return to collaborative storytelling. Then we have something's not right. The person who triggered the move will say something's not right and what they think might be wrong. Another player says it's worse than that and describes how. The player that said something's not right incorporates that escalation and storytelling continues. And our final move is not so easy. When someone describes their character doing something not so easy, interrupt by triggering this move. Anyone can say it. You can even call it on yourself. The person trying to do the thing restates what they wanted to happen, then draws a not so easy card to find out if it does. 
That player then weaves the outcome and its complications, usually a mutation, into the story and play continues. So we have three options of what the boundary looks like. I think, I think I like that this, I like the boundary itself is invisible. Its presence is felt in its effect on the environment and the creatures that it intersects. You just, you, you, you mentioned time loops and I think that's really compelling. I love the idea that, uh, what it is, is everything is kind of, everything in the, the boundary is kind of localized in its own time loop. And they are, they all happen at various speeds. So you see this place where, uh, a tree ages a hundred years, collapses into the ground and then rises back up all in the span of two minutes. You watch a, you watch a, uh, you watch a rabbit run out, run out, uh, a, a, a dust cloud skips up. It, you blink, it's gone and it's running back out from a bush again. Like it's running mm. from the same bush again. And like, it's all of these weird time skip, you know, uh, a tree is mid fall, like a tree has started to fall and then just freezes there in time. So it's, it's suspended in the air. And it's all of these time quirks that require like active conscious observation. That is what we're seeing. And that's how we're able to like track where the boundary is. And it's terrifying specifically. And the reason that we have our tents is that keeps changing, right? Like people will wake up and realize that they are beyond people like will be asleep in a tent wake up and realize they're on the other side of the boundary when suddenly they have to like cut their way out of the tent. Cause every time they unzip it, it just, they blink and it's zipped again. Well, and, and of course there was the, uh, the incident that happened to the, the sixth expedition. Um, when, uh, when Torrance got, uh, pinned right at the boundary and the top half of his body aged 40 years, uh, while the bottom half, um, grew younger. Mm hmm. It was an unfortunate bisection. Unfortunately. Take stock. Use take stock to quickly add delicious sensory details. Um, we, so the expedition sees the boundary for the first time, but does not cross yet. What does it look like? What does everyone see and feel? I think we are standing at the, at the boundary. <clears throat> and there is a hawk zipping down, just about to catch a bird. And it's been just about to catch that bird for months. And every every day it inches another inch closer. <sighs> and this this mouse, this mouse that it's almost it has almost caught this mouse. And every day we watch that mouse run into a bush and we watch it run into that same bush about 37 times from the same spot. Like we watch it run from one bush to, to another bush. Never in a circle. But we watch it run. <sighs> The same line, the same straight line, honestly, about 214 times a day. And 214 has been counted and tracked meticulously. Yeah. One day, one day it was 217. We don't know why. There's a whole team studying that in sub-level 36. Mm -hmm. We're walking through um, a field of, of dandelions and um, there is a continuous stream of dandelion seed because the dandelion flower continually replenishes itself as it's blowing um, at the edge of the time loop. You can really see it, you know? It's this, mm -hmm. this one line. Further in, um, the flowers have taken their course. Further out, you know, there haven't been flowers further out for ages. That was years ago. But right at the boundary, 
they just keep blowing out and somehow those seeds drift away from the zone not affected by the time loop but just in a continuous and kind of beautiful just aerial ballet so now the expedition starts across the boundary but something's not right um so i think we start walking and um there's a ton of files and a lot of notes about how to handle this time disruption but fundamentally it just boils down to you kind of just have to you kind of have to hope and um you definitely shouldn't take anything in that has machinery like a, an internal combustion engine where half of it is going backwards and half of it is going forwards is not something that you want to be on top of mhm so we left the jeep way way back there at the at, yeah. the at the camp we've just been walking and um the one thing we do know is that you have to take it really slowly and you can't avoid the time loops. The key is just try and notice where they seem to be just a little bit less violent, like a little bit less. It's okay to be caught in a time loop. The thing you don't want is to get caught into two time loops that are moving in opposite directions or at very different speeds. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that is really just to pay attention. Like we can't, we don't have equipment that can measure this. Um, or at least uh, not equipment that survives making it through. And so, um, what do you think, Jeff? Who, which of our characters is more likely to be going first here? I think I'm having you go first. And I feel like my scientific curiosity definitely gets the better of me. So that's, that feels right. I've got my, my notepad out. I'm, 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 I'm carefully taking notes. I'm trying to chart a course. But we get, call it like 20 paces in. And uh, suddenly realize that something's not right. And and, and I think I think maybe the thing that's not right is um, that I I think what might be wrong is let's let's go with the obvious thing that (sighs) I might have picked the wrong way through the time loops. (sighs) It's actually worse than that. You, 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 Paul, I think that I think we, we feel we feel this kind of realization that we are that we are traveling the wrong way. We're traveling the wrong way through time. And we kind of pause and look around and we look at things moving and we kind of notice that the hawk has started to move backwards. The hawk kind of moves a little bit away. And that's when we hear that's when we hear the rumbling. And that's when we hear the revving. And we look ahead. Barreling towards us. Half half dismantled. Smoke and fire billowing out of it. We left the jeep about 20 paces behind us. So why are we driving a jeep towards ourselves? Why are we covered in blood? What is... What happened to and then and then we both jump out of the way as the Jeep drives past us, like passes by what we think is the border and is just gone. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And I think that takes us to the final part of the boundary. Not so easy. There is one final obstacle before making it into the zone. Perhaps it's related to this or perhaps it's something else. (laughs) I think what is not so easy is finding each other. Yeah. 
we had to leap in different directions and we both leap into like like one of us leaps into a field of dandelions and the other leaps into leaps into the bush where the mouse keeps running but when we come up time and space are just different and it takes conscious effort to like figure out where the other person is what do we do to try and, and figure it out? What would be the, what's the not so easy thing here? I think, I think, uh, I think the way that I'm doing it is I'm lighting a flare and I'm calling out Arroway. Arroway. It is, it is September 13th. It is 9.36 PM. The time zone is Eastern Central, is Eastern Daylight. I am, I am yelling out like the current time, the current date. I am yelling all of these things and I'm yelling to you to try while holding a flare to try and so that you can see like, oh, this is the current moment. This is not this is not some weird other time loop version of where I am as I try to locate where you are. So Arroway is in a vortex um, experiencing um, many different times at the same time, kind of like looking through a kaleidoscope and um, here's all of it but jumbled in just completely out of order. Occasionally sees a flare, sometimes sees like a dozen flares at different points of being lit, uh, sees a flare on the ground having, you know, covered in lichen, like it's just been there for a really long time. Um, and just painstakingly gets his journal out with enormous effort and starts trying to solve this puzzle for subjectively what feels like days weeks mm -hmm. um honestly feels a little bit like just trying to get a, a grant proposal it's really painful um and um i'm just gonna say that uh what i would like to happen is for um our way to to, to get the signal to to hear it to mm -hmm. understand it and to be able to find uh, the, the victor again, of course, that might not be quite so easy. I think I think it's not so easy for both of us. Feels like it may not be quite so easy. So I'm going to take a not so easy. Okay. Um. So, I kind of like the idea of this is not so easy for both of us. Let's see, how's this go for you? Uh, yes, and uh, yes, and the zone mutates you in a small but noticeable way. I think, uh, I think that, like, I've got the flare in my hand. I think and I finally find you, uh, the flare has burnt, like, the flare, like, I, I, I drop it and I watch it, like, crumble to ash and biodegrade in a moment. And I notice that my fingers are smoking. Whoa. They don't burn, but they seem to be glowing like flares and they seem to, the very tips of them seem to be smoking. Gorgeous. And, um, I will, let's, let's see if I manage to, to find you without not too much effort. Well, <laughs> the effort has been expended. Yes. Well, that's great. So do I manage to, to get the signal? Yes. And the zone mutates me, granting a powerful gift that the others simply wouldn't understand. And, um, I think the, the logical thing here is, um, I've spent so long trying to piece all of this stuff together, like the world's most un, just irritating Sudoku. Um, that 
that's that's the gift. The gift is the zone just goes, you can now understand these journals. I, ju I just know you can understand them on almost a multidimensional level. That it's not just a book that goes from left to right, but in a way that only I can do, I can fold it through time and uh, make it represent the, the, the mm. way that the zone actually works. Love and, it. Uh, to anyone watching, it looks like just gobbledygook, but I, I can understand this. My brain has now changed. Real, real mind palace shit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the, the book is now just a, a doorway into the mind palace. Love it. All right. Feels like a good place to end the scene. Yeah. And so we walk, we walk into the next, we walk uh, together into the next part of the zone. All right. So we're now in the zone. Um, we can't die until our fates. So we're just going to do a lot of irresponsible stuff. Now, the zone used to be a, um, a this, this particular zone took over a, a community. You know, it took over a small town. And um, there's only one way through, which we're going to try and follow, piece together from the reports. And the next place that people go from this particular entrance is the hospital. And, um, you know, this this is just a pretty small community. So this was, mm -hmm. um, uh, let's go with the... I don't think Gothic Institution feels right. Big modern hospital, maybe not. So let's go with this. It's yeah. It's um, this is nice, like colorful leaflets and toys scattered everywhere. Just it was this friendly family doctor's office. The back rooms tell a different story, but it was just you know, it was a place where all the local families came to get their primary care. Just a mm -hmm. you know, lovely place. Lots of fond memories. All right. And we encounter an incredibly dangerous anomaly. Sounds about right. Yep. Okay. So I, I want to imagine that um, the, the way that you navigate through this zone is you, you kind of have to take these almost arbitrary paths. And you're following um, the small evidence that previous expeditions have left just, just with enormous amounts of trial and error. So, for example... You don't go around the hospital. It is kind of known that if you go around the hospital, bad things will happen. That the, the time vortices are particularly bad around the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, and um, what happened to us with the Jeep? Like, let's just say that Expedition uh, 3 found out the hard way what happens when uh, you try and go around. So, so our plan is just we're going to go through this little, this little hospital. And uh, try and come out the back way. So we're going to go through I think the, the front. Detail, I think the detail I want to add is that I've told you all of those things. Like, <laughs> I've walked us into the doctor's office, and I'm yes. like, we can't go around. Like, we can't go. The, the Jeep, that was that was a typical Expedition 3 scenario. That was, we got to go through. This is, this is how we have to maneuver. Being a scientist, of course, uh, Seth feels like he needs a little bit of first-hand evidence. So he grabs a little bit of, like, a can on the ground, some litter. And he just throws it um, at the where we might have gone to walk around the hospital. And the can just continues flying. And then just from out of nowhere, um, a can traveling about five times as fast just thwacks him in the side of the head mm -hmm. and knocks him down. Without missing a beat, without helping you up, I, uh, 
I adjust my 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 camo jacket or my survival jacket, and I'm like, "All right, we're heading inside." <laughs> Seth picks himself up and and follows. We we kind of go through different kind of waiting areas. Kind of walk through these hallways. Start to be a little bit careful with these these time vortices, and um. I kind of want to just take stock and add a couple of sensory details here that we mm-hmm. use to figure out this this uh, dangerous anomaly. So what I'll add is that there is just so much paper everywhere. Like, you know, when you go to like the, the family doctor's office, there's leaflets everywhere. Just mm-hmm. Leaflets, leaflets, leaflets on the wall. I mean, this feels like we're at the leaflet factory. There's leaflets mm. on the ground. There's leaflets on the wall. And when you look up, there's leaflets on the ceiling. Unclear how they're sticking to it. The detail that I want to add is there the line on the on the scenario card or the line on the, the scene card about the rooms in the back tell a different story. I think there are a lot of cots and there are a lot of uh like sort of there are a lot of like very in the back of this kind of mundane, boring looking office, there's what is clearly not out of date, but clearly like well used medical equipment that belonged to the family practice. Mm-hmm. And then there is clearly uh, all of this is in disrepair, but there is also clearly cutting edge government surveillance equipment and like monitoring equipment and like scanners and very high end medical gear that was clearly brought in. And there are cots and there are hazmat suits hanging on the wall. Or rather, they look like they're hanging on the wall. It, if you get close enough, you see that they're actually there's actually no hook there. But <laughs> like there's there's clearly clearly what has happened is there's clearly like a tremendous amount of government equipment that has been that has been brought in and sort of invaded the space of this family hospital. Okay, and I have an idea now. Actually, um, so so Seth is in the in the zone partly to escape his incompetence and also partly to try and find his twin brother, right? Yeah. And the really weird thing about all the lab equipment and actually all the paperwork is that it's all in pairs. It's pairs of hazmat suits. It's pairs of cots. We walk into this room and there's a couple of these MRI scanners that are just the top of the line thing. You know, the kind of thing that no hospital, even like the fanciest research hospitals don't have. Like, this is some real government stuff. And there's two of them. Again, there's pairs just side by side. And um, Seth leans down to pick up one of the leaflets. And it's about enrolling into a twin study. And he looks around. And one of the leaflets on the wall is about, well, family planning. What if you're going to have twins? And... He just walks a little bit, and every single leaflet is somehow related to twins, pairs, and all the studies involved in that. And um, I think that gives us possibly a clue about what the dangerous anomaly might be. Mm-hmm. Because I think it'd be pretty dangerous to be duplicated. Yeah. So I think as we go further in... um we realize that there's there's kind of like a flood of it's almost like the the paperwork is coming from a single source mm-hmm. and we realize that there is a particular spot that 
it must have come from. It doesn't need to be active right now, but we're going to have to be really careful if we don't want to have the same fate. And I think uh, there are there's like a, a computer console near that spot. And as we walk by, we kind of start to piece this together. And I tell you, I, I tell you, I pick up a, a pamphlet and I read through it. And I look over to Seth and I yell, unless you're really, really missing that brother of yours and you were really feeling like maybe you wanted to be a twin, I would get moving. The longer we're here, the more likely we get. <sighs> Seth is not going to pass up a chance to check a computer console that might have information about his brother. Oh, see, uh, I think as as I'm saying that, I'm also going towards the computer and I'm going to break <laughs> that computer. Um. <laughs> uh, and I go, Victor, don't do it. What do you know about my brother? What are you trying to hide? I uh, I put my hand on the computer and it starts to like burn wires and spark. And like the smoke from my fingers is joining the smoke from this computer. I'm going to draw a not so easy card to break this computer. <laughs> see if I see if I, I sabotage this computer. <laughs> yes, but it mutates me. The zone mutates me in a shocking way. Uh, it is the only reason I succeed. Um, I think... I think, uh... Lines of code... Start raising on my skin. As the computer shocks and it bursts. As the computer shocks and bursts and finally blows out and I walk calmly past you. You can see, like... Um... Almost like a, like a label maker. Like that kind of punch text label maker. You can see lines of like DOS code running up and along my along lines of my skin as I walk by and I stop and I look at you and I say, I didn't know shit other than that you had a brother. And Seth goes, no, just starts like pawing at the computer. And then and then Seth tries to paw at the lines of code that are on Victor's arms. Like I knock you down and I start trying to derive meaning from the code in your arms. I, I'm going to, I'm going to fight you on this. I don't think it's, I think it's not so easy to knock, to, to knock me down and to, 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 to study this code. I would tend to agree. So, okay. So no, I fail to knock you down and everyone gets mutated. <laughs> I think the appropriate mutation is that as I, go to just try and get you onto the ground so I could get this information out of you. I put all of my body weight into trying to push you down. And when I hit you, we've come to a perfect halt. It was as if we we're trying to push on a brick wall, but behind you, an exact replica of you <laughs> mm -hmm. just slides out um, as if it was the one that had been pushed and just like falls to the ground. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happens to me again. You know, every, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Um, if I try to push on a wall, the force pushes me back, but I don't move. But the duplicate of me just like falls out of my back as if they've been punched in the face. I like that. And I think that I stare at myself. I think I stare at myself and uh uh the new me uh adjusts adjusts his jacket, cracks his neck, looks at me and goes, Did you burn the files? 
And I adjust my jacket and I go, yeah, I burned the files. If you want to burn the rest of burn the rest of the paper, I would just, you know, cover the tracks. It's fine. On my end, both Seths turn around and tears come to their eyes. They fall to their knees. They go, Salas, is that you? Is that you? And we both look at each other and just mutter, weak. And uh, pull lighters out of each of our pockets and just start like lighting up pamphlets. And I think the next thing we know, we're actually just on the other side of the hospital. Mm -hmm. And um, what do you think? Should we keep our clothes or should we just like leave them? There? Like imagine that they were just there. I, th I, I think that I think we get to the I think that we get towards the end of the hospital. And. I think other other Victor stops, holds out his hand and blocks other Seth from following. <laughs> and says, hey, old Seth, old Victor, we got we've got we've got work to do. You go ahead. And so oh, other Seth is holding out his hand and like clearly does not want to leave you. But the two victors look at each other and I'm very unnerved because I don't know what this other what this work is, but kind of half shoving Seth walks in a very different direction, a direction that we think. All of our reports, all of the previous expeditions say is very clearly like towards a, a, vert, a vortex, oh, towards no. a time loop, and just walks out, like walk off without a care in the world. I think that that's perfect. Perhaps the sinkholes called for them. Perhaps it is a necessary offering to the zone. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great place to end the scene. I do too. All right. All right, we have arrived at the theme park. We have to cut a path through this theme park to get towards the center. Uh, I am going to go with uh, a corroded Ferris wheel looms over overgrown galleries of carnival stands, fun houses, sickly sweet food vendors, unwinnable games of skill. Uh, this is not just a theme park. This is a boardwalk. Oh, yeah. And actually, that's kind of the first like landmark is that if you can find the river. That's kind of your your indication that you're on the right path. Like all of the reports say get to the river and you'll be safe. Like the river is kind of the first like relatively stable point. And so like getting to the boardwalk, getting to the river is the sign that you're in a place of like relative stability. But that means also getting through the theme park to get to the river. <laughs> I have to add, I, I'll throw out an idea here, which is please. Um, I almost want every single game in the theme park to be in its own little time space. So when oh, you yeah. walk up to the theme park, it looks like it's all perfectly operational. Everything's great. It's like, you know, you walk up to it, the lights are on. It looks like everyone's having a blast. But as you go up to it, it's as if different parts of it go from being just completely, you know, operational and there's no one there, but they're as if everyone was playing, you know, stuff is moving, mm -hmm. games are being played. But each game you play, it's almost like you enter a different moment in time. Like one of them, it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. And the other one, it's like 11 p.m. Yeah. And uh, it's a very strange experience. And our scene prompt is someone discovers an anomaly and tries to hide it from the others. Why does only one of you see this anomaly and what makes the anomaly worth hiding? I'm going to throw you a question. I think you find something because I destroyed the computer last time. I think it 
I, if you're okay with it, I think it makes, yeah. I think that feels like a good moment for you to like consciously hide something. That feels right. Um, well, I think, I think what I find is, um, more because yeah, I'm just so obsessed with this, but I find a very clear sign that my brother's been through here. And it's kind of a weird one uh, because in this case, it's, it's tickets. You know, mm-hmm. tickets for playing the games kind of scattered around. Um, and, um, and each, they've got little notes on them. Uh, obviously, like if you were, ex- if you were a scientist exploring an anomalous theme park, you'd be documenting everything. You'd be annotating everything. And mm-hmm. there's only one handwriting that explains this. And I think what I realized is that this is a trail. This is a message to me. And I start following it. And um, I think we we have to have done the thing that um, that people irresponsibly do in horror movies where they split up at a situation mm-hmm. where they really, really shouldn't. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what I'm doing when we split up. <laughs> yeah, we got to cover more ground. Victor, we got to cover more ground. So I see oh, this yeah. and, I, and I and I follow the trail. I follow the trail. I, I you know, I, I I follow the trail and like. The trail is very clearly indicating to me that I should be playing the game as, as a way of understanding the physics of this place. And um, <laughs> I play all of the games and each one of them reveals to me just like one other layer of, of the, 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 the way that the zone is working as if my brother had left a message to me and I can just feel it, this theory forming in my brain, this, this new theory of all of science, of all of physics that's just encoded in the way that the water moves and the, you know, the squirt gun game with the clowns or the, 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 the way that, um, the, the basketballs fly through the air in the game, um, the shoot the hoop game and, uh, the statistical unlikelihood of winning becomes, um, replaced with just a very, very clear sense that this is data mm-hmm. that I need to record every single piece of it. And when I make it through all of the different games, I get to the end of it, and there's a final game. But this one, I don't know why, but I imagine it like, you know those old um, handheld uh, LCD games? What what were they called? What are they called? The Game & Watch? Yeah, the Game & Watch. So it's a Game & Watch. It's a little Game & Watch. Um, But it's about this theme park. Like a little like character is just like going around the theme park, the little segmented display. And I don't know what it's for yet, but I put it into my pocket and I keep it. Hmm. I think as as I think what we see is just like as you're doing this, we get brief shots as I'm putting little tiny like sensor things or little tiny like tracking beeper buzz buzzers onto various pieces of the of the theme park of the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. And finally, we get to the end, and I take out a walkie-talkie when I'm, when I'm thoroughly out of your view, and I just whisper into it. Uh, we've got evidence of bureau presence of bureau. Uh, we've got some fingerprints on the scene. Tracers are marked. You should have your you should have your coordinates. Uh, I expect a cleanup flyover within the hour. And I think that we cut and see that. Uh, that old radio, like there's, there's like, there's like several armed soldiers sitting next to it, 
listening very specifically to that old radio and my voice is distorted <laughs> and I sound older and younger and uh, it's just shifting, but the words are coming through this radio clear, clear enough. It seems to be the only way that word can get outside the zone. The one radio that could communicate outside of the zone. Now that's an anomaly right there. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. And I think, I think that's the end of the scene. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the scene, Oh, I think this is actually perfect for the campfire, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so the campfire, we don't know how long we've been here. We've been going through days and nights, but at some point we get tired and we decide to take a rest. And um, I am fixated on the little game and watch that I picked up. And um, it's a little game. And I just realized what, what, what the game's about. It's, it's, it's There's little sinkholes. It's a carnival game about sinkholes. We have to throw things in with just the right timing. It's like a ski ball. It's like a ski ball game. Yeah, like a ski ball sinkhole game. Really kind of weird. So now we go around and we share some theories about the nature of the zone. I think I'm just like fixated on this little game and I'm just like muttering to myself. <laughs> like I'm muttering theories about the, the the incredible science. Like what does this mean for like loop quantum gravity and the 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 different ways that the the multiverse is is manifesting just in this one little area of of earth like this is this incredible no particle accelerator could create these conditions it's as if we've we've created a singularity that we're in like i'm so agitated i'm hyper caffeinated at this point um random happenstance kid Nothing anybody could have done could have impacted this in any way. Random happenstance. This is incredible. Random happenstance. Happenstance or not, this is the greatest discovery in humanity. <sighs> and I think I, I stare at there's a there's a there's a uh, not much larger than a than a like a rabbit hole or like a like a little hole in the ground or a little burrow hole. And I'm just staring at it. And I'm just looking at it as I sweat. I'm visibly sweating as I'm mumbling. <laughs> just random happenstance. Nothing anybody could have done about it. And I think there's a br- there's the briefest moment where we both hear a whisper on the wind of the name Dunlevy. And I'm sweating. <sighs> just random happenstance. It just... You know, sometimes weird things happen, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. <laughs> Dunleavy. When you, um, I'm kind of curious if the voice saying Dunleavy sounds familiar in any way. <sighs> it very obviously does. I don't, I don't, I don't make that known, but it very obviously sounds like uh it very obviously like it you you use you, you there i my poker face is pretty good it's nowhere near good enough to hide the fact that i know exactly whose voice that is and it is uh somebody that i used to work with who has long since disappeared somebody that has not been seen since the earliest days of the of the zone love it so I think right now we're basically just kind of gibbering around this campfire yeah. <laughs> somewhat incoherently, slightly, you know, coming out of awareness of each other's presence. And at some point we fall asleep mm-hmm. for some amount of time. 
And uh, unless there's anything else that you want to do in this campfire, I think... I think that's the end of the scene. I think we wake up. I'll start my next turn. <laughs> Moving to the mall. This is a beige box mall. Uh, actually, this is a palace of glass elevators, reflective walkways, boutiques, models staring from huge billboards so clean the effect is kaleidoscopic. Uh, but what I think it is, is it is impossibly futuristic as if it would be have as if it would have been built in this spot 150 years from now. Oh, I love where this is going. Like full on like minority report ass mall, like holograms, <laughs> like is not a mall that would have been in this community within the next 200 years. Oh, that's perfect. That is absolutely and, perfect. And we are walking through it. And I think, uh. Even Victor, who has been very, you know, cards to the chest, is kind of like agape at everything. Just what in the... Oh, can I add a detail? I have to add a detail. Yeah, please. The window displays are constantly updating like a time lapse. Like mm -hmm. we, we walk past this futuristic clothes store and the mannequins just keep... The, the 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 clothes on the back of the mannequin just are constantly just like swishing out, swishing out, swishing out, swishing out. Every so often, there's a flash, and just for about 17 seconds, there's, you know, the Thanksgiving display, and then the, you know, the Christmas display, and then the seasonal things, and it's just, everything is just going so fast. And this but is every single store that we're going by. But their faces are unmistakably our faces, yours and mine. Oh, of course. Obviously. <laughs> you encounter a helpful creature that lives here. How do we know it's helpful? What does it want in exchange for its help? I think it's a mall kiosk. The mall kiosk appears uh, like like we, we approach the map of the mall and like a figure appears in it. And they look kind of like a mannequin and they look kind of like they have our face, but they're kind of animated in very retro, very retro CGI kind of way. Very like 90s DreamWorks sort of polygonal effects. Uh, and they appear and they go like, well, hello, strangers. You seem like you're not from around here. Allow me to allow me to guide you through this wondrous mall. I bet you're looking for the center. And Seth goes, can you give us information about just things in the mall or anything? I can give you what you need to know. All you have to do is trust me and follow my instructions to the letter. And so Seth kind of gets out a picture of his brother and then it's, you know, and then just this happens all the time. He gets the picture out. And he's like, uh, a guy who looks like me. <laughs> um, have you seen his name? His name is Salas Arroway. We believe he's come through here as well. Has has he has he been seen? Has he has he come here? Um, and he points at himself, points at the picture, points at the mannequin. It's like just just like that, like that, that guy. Salas Arroway, let me let me look into that. And a little screensaver pops up. And um it comes back a moment later. You are in tremendous danger and need to move quick as quickly through the mall as possible. Um and is that the is that in the the voice of my brother? Is that like a message from my it's brother? The same, a, it's the same it's the same cartoon creature. mascot, but I I like it is the voice of your brother. <laughs> But in this, in the body of this that cartoon right. mascot, you are in a tremendous amount of danger and you need to get the hell out of here. The longer you stay in this spot, the longer that you follow the path that, and that's about when, uh, that's about when the chair goes through the, through the, through the kiosk. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> and uh, Seth looks the the origin of the chair. Ugh, Victor. <sighs> Do you really think cartoon mascots offering you a magical path through the woods to Oz? Does that really seem on the level to you, kid? At this point, at this point, we just have to follow our instincts. Yeah. Science is about inspiration. Exactly. We just have to gather all the data possible and we have to follow the trails that we're given. That and was a we've trail. Been give, and we've been given a trail that we know is good. So let's follow it. I think we follow it. I think that's all we, that's all we can really do. I think you're exact. Now you're now you're finally starting to get it. And I think walks by. Uh, what do you do as 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 Victor triumphantly like chest puffed out, like walks away, kind of clapping his hands together and well, like starts following the path through the mall? Here's what I do. So. I go to follow him just enough that he can just feel like I'm going to follow him. And then. When we get 10 feet away from the machine, I just run back to that exact same spot. The screen is completely repaired. Yeah. And just I just try and get as much information as I possibly can. I'm going to say that's not I'm going to say that's not so easy with Victor watching with Victor being very aware of it, as well as uh, the machine potentially lying to you. I'm going to say that's not so easy. See, give me to see if you get valuable, if you get the truth out of the machine. I was hoping you might say that. Yes, but this is something I cannot do alone. Help is needed from the other characters or from a local. So I succeed. Yes. Uh, And I know exactly what help is needed from the other characters. Uh, The the voice leans in. You, you are in a tremendous amount of danger. You need to, you need every second that you are here, every second that you are following in the footsteps of Victor Dunleavy, you are in danger. Victor Dunleavy is doing everything he can to erase his role in this, as well as the role that the Bureau played in this. If you are going to get out of here, if you are going to find the center, if you are going to find me, Seth, you're going to have to do it over his dead body. It's you or him, and he knows that, and I need you to know that. As my brother, I need you to know that. Be well and I love you. Screen goes to black. Seth Seth is taken aback by this. He's never killed someone. Well, not intentionally. You know, the lab accident doesn't count. I think that's I think that's seen. I think that's seen. <laughs> so we go to the factory. Mm-hmm. Seth is just rolling this message around in his head. At this point, he's absentmindedly playing with the the game set and watch just continuously. It's his one source of comfort. He knows somehow it is a connection to his brother. And so we arrive at the factory. And, um, you know, I just, I just, I'm, I'm going to keep going with this direction. The, the, the machine is, oh, actually, no, this is perfect. The machine is, is this endless interlocking maze of conveyors and machines still running on emergency power. The machines are still just just making stuff, you know. Um, I almost want to imagine that this is just as if the the time has continued. This would be like 250 years later when you go to the mall. And it's not Mm -hmm. a mall. You just go into this machine and it just makes you whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Just, just, it's perfect, you know, it's customized, knows your whole life. 
Mm -hmm. It has all the data you need. And the detail that I want to add is as we're walking through this magical sort of future machine, suddenly we find ourselves, like the factory changes around us. Yeah. And it's suddenly like it is a turn of the century, real Upton Sinclair-ass jungle-looking, like old turn of the century factory. And then suddenly it's the same factory a hundred years later and there's just cobwebs everywhere. Beautiful. Um, uh, I want to do something else that an anomaly scene. An alliance is formed. Okay, this feels juicy. So, I think in this scene, I want to say it's just extremely difficult to make it through this factory. Mm-hmm. Just, it is transforming around us at such a rapid pace that it feels like you know i'm just walking down and then the place where i just was turns into just a a crucible full of molten iron and then a second later it's back to being a conveyor belt full of just chewy toys for dogs and then like a second later it transforms into like an assembly line for oh can i throw out uh can i throw out like this will make the scene real short, but I think this is a good moment. Yeah. I think that a, I think the ground, col- I think I'm on a, I think I am on a catwalk. Mm-hmm. Like I'm on behind you on a catwalk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, and the, 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 the room shifts and suddenly the ground opens up under me. Like the catwalk ages a hundred years in an instant and becomes super rusted. And I just like fall through it. And the ground beneath me is molten iron. And I'm holding on to the catwalk by the tips of my fingers. And I yell out to you. And at that moment, I realize, you know, things that I need to know. (laughs) So I go, um, I I run over and try and grab your hand. But that is definitely not quite so easy. Not quite so easy. No, but the zone mutates you, giving you an unexpected ability. So I fail to grab your hand. I think it means I fall. I, it means I fall here, uh, yeah. So I'm just gonna say full on, I fall into the molten lava. Like yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't die, which means we have to resolve what the rest of that scene looks like. But it's I picture perfect. that I, I fall into that <laughs> lava. Like, like by all, by all, I am dead to rights. Like I, you watched me fall into a pool of molten lava. Yeah, your body hits the surface of the lava and just explodes in flames. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is interesting because uh, my fake card hasn't been played, which means I'm not dead. Right. You're not dead. You're so what's your, unexpect- what's your unexpected ability? Well, I, I think I've got a logical thing here. <laughs> so my unexpected ability is um, I, I, I reach out to catch you and I fail to catch you. But I suddenly gain the deepest possible understanding of this factory at every moment in its life and in every moment in time, all at the same time. Right? Like Mm -hmm. this, this factory has lived through a thousand different lives and I know how to access every single one. And so I do the only thing that I can. I reach through time and space and I begin rebuilding Victor Dunleavy. (laughs) Oh, that's yeah, that's real good. Um, I would love to I would love to say it's not so easy for me to come back unchanged. Go for it. Do I come back unchanged? No, but your failure has unexpected positive consequences. 
I so I don't come back unchanged. And when you find me, uh, I I like I have an arm that is like I have like a cable arm, <laughs> got a metal arm, <laughs> and like it's visibly like bubbling and boiling. And mold, half mold, my other fingers are smoking, and the the code is running all across me. And we both look at each other, and that knowledge of the factory is shared between both of us. And what we see next is uh, both of us just effortlessly making our way through the, the back half of this factory. That's right. Practically skip through it. It's home mm-hmm. now. And I think that's the end of the scene. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say that I think that does create a bond between us. Yeah. That seems fair. All right, All right. Jack. Take us to the My library. To the library. Oh, as much community center as library, bulky CRT monitors, a soup kitchen, leaflets for the flu shots, file cabinets hold the truce, hold the story of the neighborhood. We come out, I mean, now it feels like we're right back in the neighborhood that we started out in, right? Like, this is this is small town, this is nothing, and we look back and there is no evidence of a factory, there is no evidence. We, like, crawl out of a manhole and there's, like, no evidence of anything. It's as though it was never here to begin with. Hmm tries to develop a new physical or mental power by taking a big risk. What do you try to sacrifice to the zone in exchange for this power? Uh, I think we find a sinkhole. Feels right. Feels right. This feels like a moment for a sinkhole. <sighs> Who does the sinkhole call out to first? And what does it ask for? I think the sinkhole calls out to, to Seth. And I think it asks for Seth. And I just want to add like a sensory detail here, which mm-hmm. is we get to the center of this library and the sinkhole appears to be constructed entirely out of bookshelves. They're spiraling mm-hmm. deep down, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a cylinder of bookshelves. I think I think the sinkhole unless is there something in is there something you think Victor wants? I have an idea for there, there there is and or maybe it's maybe it's both maybe it's asking maybe it's something for both of us because yeah, yeah. i think i see a i think i see a file in there with my picture on it and i want that file and well, it's and on I, one of, it's on one of the bookshelves and i reach and it's not so easy to grab it yeah <laughs> no and the mutates in a trigger the zone mutates you in a way that triggers your phobia i fall full on into the into the hole and i'm dropped back out immediately and when I land, I've still got the code running. My arm is still boiling metal. And you you look me in the eyes. And my face starts to swirl and fade and twist. And like bad Photoshop filters get applied to my face. I There's a moment where you look me in the eyes and realize, like, you know who I like you. You get a moment later, like conscious you put in conscious effort and the bond that we developed in the factory you can you can piece together who i am but i see it in your eyes there's a genuine moment you have no fucking clue who i am and i'm just nobody i'm just a face in the crowd for all of for all of the ways the zone has changed me i'm just a face in the crowd i think i i go to like you know seth goes to victor and goes what did you see what did you see you were gone for just a second. I saw everything that we did from the outside. I didn't like it. I think maybe we should tell people what we did here. Not you and me, but we... The. I think maybe we should tell people that we had a part in this. 
And I just quietly muttering that kind of walk, walk off. I think Seth understands. And I think Seth understands something about his brother. Seth understands that when he says we, he just knows that was that project that his brother would never tell him about. That thing, that surprise that he always promised to tell him later. That, you know, that thing that just like would light him up that he knew was, was, was Salas's true passion and that Salas just couldn't wait to share it with Seth. And then Salas was gone. And then the zone appeared. It's all starting to make sense. And I think that's it. I think that's scene end. It feels right. And so now we're going to move to the office, which is the final location before the center. And we're going to find out. <laughs> we're going to find out who meets their end here. So we arrive at the office. And in this scene, Seth is going to come to an end. And uh, this end cannot be stopped by not-so-easy cards. This end can only be stopped if another player claims this fate. And this, mm. by the way, can happen anytime. Um, <laughs> I've seen uh, I've seen some pretty great games of hot potato where people are trying to grab each other's fates. Um, but at this point, no, not nothing is not so easy if it's leading towards this inevitable mm-hmm. destruction. Okay. So accept my fate, and uh, it's pretty obvious that. Um, this office is just endless cubicles. And in this case, that's not a metaphor, by the way. No. No. Just, and it's literally, literally yep. endless cubicles. There's paper everywhere. Like, we thought it was bad in the hospital. Here, it is just paper, cubicles, printers, family portraits, and motivational posters that look sickly under the fluorescent flicker. But there's something really weird about those family portraits, by the way, is that they all seem to show different versions of Seth. But it's not Seth. I mean, it's Salas. But in each family portrait, it's different kids. Sometimes it's no kids. Sometimes it's a wife. Um, you know, sometimes it's, a, a, it's, you know, sometimes it's a whole family, the grandparents. Sometimes there's no one at all. Sometimes they look happy. Sometimes they look sad. Sometimes they're at the Grand Canyon. Sometimes they're at an infinite number of different locations. Every cubicle is just a different version of this one scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, can I make a can I make a suggestion Please. that actually does lead to killing uh, killing Seth? Go ahead. Because I, I think, Seth, you're, you're walking through and you're looking at these and you grab a couple of these portraits and you look at them and you hold on to them as samples and you finally walk up and you see uh, you see Victor staring at one that is uh, standing in front of the zone with, with assault rifles and like big headsets is <laughs> Salas and Victor. Uh, Victor's got a cigar. He's holding a cigar and like they're looking very triumphant and Victor's just looking. This was this was the first time that we came in. This was this was when we finally cracked it and we did it and this was it. This was this was when it all happened. And 
you know, you Victor still had, you still have, you're still behind Victor looking at this picture, hearing him, mm-hmm. and suddenly his voice changes. This was when Salas got scared about how far we could take this. This was when Salas tried to tried to backtrack on the future. This was when Salas betrayed us, and when that word "us." You realize, you you realize something just before something else happens. You realize, wait, that's not coming from it. That voice isn't coming from in front of you. It's coming from behind you. And at that moment, bloody, uh, throat half crushed, you hear, And then you hear swing and a club and a thud. Just in time for you to turn around and see Victor standing behind you, pristine, jacket perfect, covered in blood, Seth lying dead in front of you. As other Victor washes off a baseball bat and starts moving towards you. And frankly, at that moment, as I try to move, I realize that I'm not there anymore. I'm just a floating point of consciousness. And that body that hit the ground mm. is also mine. And I am just the zone now. <sighs> Did you? I'm, I'm having second thoughts. Well, that's what I'm here for, buddy. That's, that's why there, two heads are better than one. You're, you're allowed to have doubts. I'm here to reassure you. That's what friends are for. Now let's go get you that promotion, buddy. And, and I think... As the camera kind of follows Victor out of the office, I think what we see on the ground is there's a game set and watch, but now there's a second one right next to it. And Mm -hmm. one of them has Seth's name on it, and the other one has Salas's name on it. And they're tenderly side by side, Mm -hmm. just playing their game. The scientist is now one with the zone. If we uh, had more players, if we had died earlier, the um, I would continue uh, defining scenes. I would continue mm-hmm. uh, to create weirdness for everyone else's experience. But now um, we will follow Victor into the center of the zone. Yes, well, he'll get to make his wish. This is the final stretch of the game. We define the center, the bureaucrat's final wish, and everyone else decides what the zone does with that wish using their not-so-easy cards. The center part one. The survivors made it to the legendary center of the zone. First define the zone together. Is it staggering beauty, incomprehensible horror, alien strangeness, or something else? I have a proposal. Go ahead. So this ties nicely. This ties into my wish. I think I love the idea that it reflects the wish of the person, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's following the office and knowing what my wish was, I love the idea that like the office just turns into bureau headquarters, <laughs> but not like not like the not like the headquarters that we've been in, like headquarters in New York, like the New York office. And it's just like the 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 the, the office decor just changes a little bit, and there's finally just an office in the end that has my name on the door, the one you've always wanted. It's the corner. It's the corner office. It's got the floor to ceiling windows. And I'm standing there, broken, code running along my body, arm bubbling, other arms smoking. 
me over my shoulder, bloody baseball bat smiling ear to ear, patting me on the shoulder. Way to go, buddy. We're here. You've you've watched that view over O'Hara's shoulder while sitting on the wrong side at that desk so many times. Mm-hmm. And now it's yours. It's mine. And now we meet the center. Describe the final survivor's encounter with the center you just created. How does the zone make it clear it's time for the wish? I think that's exactly what happens. Is like I think my name appears on the door, and the two of us stand there. Mm-hmm. Stand there. Uh, we have a short flashback, like you said. I think I think we I think we actually played all of this out just now. I, there's a thousand times we've sat there and have watched O'Hare spin in that chair and condescendingly talk to me about football games and about like the latest game of thrones episode and now it's my now it's my turn to talk about football and my time my turn to talk about the tv shows that i like and finally i get my i i, I make my wish it, for it, control it, over the bureau and a cushy promotion and i gotta like like put me here like where who are you wishing to is the wish happening in your head is a wish happening? Like, what are you? I think that I think that uh, the wish is happening to. I think the wish is happening. I think I would like for you to be other Victor because I think other Victor walks in and is spinning in the chair in the same yes. condescending way that O'Hare used to, and that I'm making the wish to other Victor. <laughs> That's perfect. I think so. You walk in, and other Victor. Does the, uh, you know, like Agent Smith from the Matrix thing, like pulls out the files, does the the little twirling, the the string around the binder to open it, pulls it out. It's all your performance reviews. And finally, I, I mutter my wish. I want the Bureau to burn to the ground. Well, Victor, you're in charge. But it might not be quite so easy. <laughs> choose the, choose the, choose the final judgment on the wish. So now, I, as the zone, will take all the not-so-easy cards that I collected, and I will judge. I'll provide the judgment of the zone. I think... So I'll throw something out, Jeff, and um, tell tell me if you're into this. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of a true... We could go one of two ways. We can go full monkey's paw. You can get your wish, but there is a complication. Mm-hmm. I was also thinking, though, it might be extra sweet for you to not get your wish at all. And for the zone to put you in charge of the Bureau, not just for your lifetime, but just for all lifetimes. <laughs> I that's that's I I I want to just straight up and if I may just straight up end the game, <laughs> if I may. How do you feel about that direction? I I feel so good about it that I want to just propose to you what the ending of this looks like. Because I think it is I think it is two seconds. I think I whisper that. Other Victor looks at me. And just laughs. And then suddenly I blink and I'm in that chair. And a paper falls in front of me that says, uh, Expedition 147 is ready. And I think that's a cut to black. That is both the ending and the epilogue, because the bureaucrat's yeah. life is just going to be that for a very long time. That's it. That's game. Thank you so much for playing. This was a blast. And scene. <laughs> that and was great. scene. 
<laughs> Damn, that was cool. I love that. That ripped. Oh my god, that was oh, that was what, cool. That was just a killer, killer direction for the bureaucrat. Man. Love it. Uh, well, thank you so much for playing it with me. This was so much fun. Thank you for hosting me. I really appreciated it. I appreciate it so much. It was just great to get to play with you. This was this world. This was a blast. Uh, I've had some. I'm, I'm I'm over the moon. This this was fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Real quick before we wrap up, where can people find you, your work, in the zone online? Well, um, you can find me on uh, Twitter, uh, just Raftamico, uh, just my name. And uh, you can find every single thing you want to know about the zone and even play it for free, just um, as we just did, at uh, www.thezonerpg.com. And um, from there, you can jump off to some of the other games I've made. You can see... Um, you know, uh, more about me. Um, but, uh, I encourage you just go check it out. Uh, click through it. It's, uh, going to teach you everything you need to know, just like it did today. Uh, really is zero prep. Just click, create a game and start playing. Hell yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was such a, such a delight. I was so, so happy with this. And for now, I'm going to throw it over to me in the future so that he can wrap up with the show. Take a future me. Thanks, past me. And thanks again to Raph for coming on to the show. That game ruled. That was such a cool game. It was creepy and weird and tense, and I loved every minute of it. Be sure to head to thezonerpg.com to play your own game of the zone. Uh, gather up your friends, play to lose, play some doomed people, turn into monsters, uh, get your wish come true or don't. Uh, the game kicks ass. You absolutely should want to play it. You should also follow Raph on Twitter at RaphDomico. Then, while you're on Twitter, follow us at Party of One Pod. Like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. Join our Discord community at bit.ly slash Discord, And head to our merch store at bit.ly slash Merch. If you enjoy the show, consider leaving us a nice iTunes review or a Podchaser review. Consider supporting the show financially at patreon.com slash jeffstormer or ko-fi.com slash jeffstormer. Or, yeah, I don't know, telling a friend about the show or tweeting a nice thing at us. I don't know. Nice, th- nice things go a long way towards helping us stay motivated to making this show. And speaking of shows that we make, um, if you'd like to check out another podcast and hear me talk for another hour about weird fantasy stuff, check out All My Fantasy Children, a character creation, storytelling, and world-building podcast on the One Shot Podcast Network, in which every week... My best friend, Aaron Katanosias, and I take a listener-submitted prompt. We spin it into an original fantasy character, and we populate a shared universe one story at a time. New episodes drop every Friday-ish at all my... No, at oneshotpodcast.com. Party of One is produced and edited, as always, by Jeff Stormer and Jen Frank. All music for the show comes from the song Infinite Lives by Mega Rain featuring the D&D Sluggers, and the Party of One logo is by Evan Rowland. If you'd like to inquire about advertising rates coming onto the show as a guest or about press coverage of the show, you can email me at partyofonepodcast at gmail.com. And, honestly, I'm pretty sure that's about it. That's all we do here, so until next time, thank you so much for listening. Remember to fight the forces of fascism every single day. Remember that self-love and self-care are radical and defiant acts of resistance. And as always, party on, everybody.